Talk about life. Hello, hello. I'm Viana Novis. This is Creatively Relating. Thank you so much for being here today. This episode is about my changing relationship to activism. It is changing. Wow. This episode, I'm also recording the intro before I record the episode, like I did in my last solo episode about how I almost died. I really liked uh, coming and sitting down and letting these emotions that are present as I begin be the lead into the episode. Right now I'm feeling tender and quite emotional. It's the first day of my cycle, so as to be expected. <laughs> and um, I feel a lot of anticipation in sharing this. Um, and I feel a lot of gratitude in being able to have a space to use my voice to share uh, rather than written word. I think on this topic in particular, it's been tough for me to write how things are changing. It's been a lot easier for me to speak about it. So um, I feel really grateful to be uh, creating this episode today. And where I want to start too is just by acknowledging that I don't care any less about what's going on in the world. I just understand my capacity more. So, uh, you know, that's kind of the starting place of this episode. By saying my relationship to activism is changing, it's not like, oh, I'm just not going to do that anymore. That's just not a thing. It's, yeah, no, that's not it. <laughs> it's more about understanding the nuance of how to make an impact with the energy that I do have. Uh, so that's what this episode is going to speak into. And, and a lot of the nuance in navigating the grief of that and um, existing in this world that we currently live in where we have so much information at our fingertips and a lot coming at us uh, through social media and, and how to find balance. Uh, and I don't have some resolve here. I, I can only share what I have and what I'm going after in this moment. And, and it's changing a lot as I continue healing my own trauma. So there'll, there'll be a lot of layered nuance in this. Um, and of course, I'm just speaking from my own lived experience and other people may have difference and you may have difference and that's okay. We can be different. If you enjoy this episode, if you have difference with this episode, if you have questions or curiosities, I would love to hear about that. You can write in at creativelyrelating at gmail.com or you can call in anytime and leave a message at 1833-2-RELATE, 1833-273-5283. And there's a two-minute maximum on messages there. But of course you can call in multiple times if you have a lot to say, 
or you can record a voice memo and email that in any way you want to communicate. I'm totally open. If you want to support the show, you can do so for free by leaving a review, leaving a rating, uh, following me on Instagram at viana.novis, subscribing to the show and listening even for a few minutes within the first 24 hours of the show's release. That's how subscribers are tracked on podcasts. So strange, but that's how they do it. Um, And of course, you can share with a friend. If there's an episode of the show that's been impactful for you, sharing it with a friend is a great way to um, help the show grow. And if you want to support the show financially and help me reach the goal of paying all of the guests who come on Creatively Relating, uh, which is something I would love to get to you by the end of this year, you can do so for as little as $3 a month on Patreon at patreon.com slash Novis. And there we gather once a month for a live meditation and Q&A. There are weekly shares. You get a creativity exercise once a month, a writing prompt once a month. You get access to the monthly photo shoots that I'm doing that I don't release uh, in their entirety anywhere else. And um, you also get some fun behind the scenes updates. So $3 a month, $5 a month, $10, $20, whatever you have to give, you get access to all the things I have to offer and you can help uh, support the show and and help me reach this goal of paying all of the incredible people who uh, come and sit down and, and have a chat in public so we can all benefit. Uh, and there's some really amazing guests lined up throughout this year. So I would love to show them the gratitude that I feel and that we feel as a community that they're coming and offering their wisdom and knowledge and perspective uh, and show them that financially because we still live in this world and have bills to pay. All right, let's get into this episode. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the show. I'm going to start with how my body is feeling. I think that's a valuable place to begin this conversation considering trauma is a big part of the change that's unfolding in my life. And my relationship to my body is a big part of my trauma response. In this moment, I can feel the bottom of my feet. That's new. That's really new for me. I mean, it's less than 24 hours new. I had a deep EMDR session with my trauma therapist yesterday and something synthesized in my body and I can feel my feet. I mean, I've felt my feet with my hands before, but I can honestly say that throughout my life, I have not felt my feet from inside of my body. I've meditated since I was 12. I have done body scans, yoga nidra, all the things to bring my attention, my energy 
excuse me, into my feet. And I still could not feel my feet. I actually, for most of my life, couldn't feel my legs. And now I can feel my feet. And it's something in the last 24 hours that I've been noticing. I've been, you know, yesterday on a walk with my toddler and my partner and uh, having some emotional conversations and just existing, cooking breakfast, in my morning meditation, dropping my kiddo off at school. All these little moments where I'm like, wow, I can feel my feet. I can feel my feet. So right now, I'm just, I want to start there. I can feel my feet. I can feel myself inside of my body in a way that I never have before. I can also just feel the tenderness in my my uterus. And it's not as tender as it usually is on my first day of my cycle. So that's interesting. I also am feeling tenderness in my upper body, in my chest, in my arms. I can feel my low back. I feel kind of a brightness in my forehead. And outside I'm looking at the mountains and the beautiful palm tree across the street in the magnolia tree in my front yard blowing in the wind. I can see the bird's nest of the birds that built their nest under my front porch. My heart feels soft and grateful. And if you want to pause the episode for a few moments right now, I invite you to to do the same, to notice what your body is feeling, how you're arriving today to this conversation. Because even though I don't hear you back, it certainly is a conversation. I'm going to say things, you're going to hear them, and your body's going to respond. Your body's going to say something to you. And getting a sense of where you're arriving today can be really helpful to notice what it is that your own self has to say back. And even if you don't pause the episode, why don't we just take a deep breath together? So my changing relationship to activism. I suppose we should start with what my relationship to activism has been like throughout my life. Create a little context. Before I had the word activism, I was very activated about social issues and injustice from the time I was a really, really young child. My mom tells me stories of how I was three, four years old and would cry so hard at uh, stories I would hear of people being harmed. And I mean, back in the 90s, the commercials that would play of like, 
I mean, I have my judgments and opinions of them, but I would see these things as a, as a child and, and break down and cry about it. And that energy just progressed in my life as I grew and, um, in my, in my early teen years, I, I hosted a fundraiser. I organized over 65 volunteers and put on this huge event, rented out a venue, organized bands and had an auction and food and put on this, you know, big event. My first community event, I was uh, 15 when that happened, wrote my first press release and like did, you know, it was, it was an event, the news, various news stations and newspapers were there and, um, had this big event to, to raise money. There was a local cancer hospital where I grew up in Buffalo, New York, and there was a a children's ward. And I met with the kids a year prior, I got to go and spend the day and like play game with games with them when I was 14. And I had this deep desire to bring, uh, to support their sense of play and joy in this really difficult experience. So, um, put on this big event to raise money, to like add more, uh, toys and games and, and joy to their rec room. Um, and then all throughout high school, I was also really involved with like Model UN and, uh, you know, brought a chapter of Amnesty International to my school and, and you know, things that like I could feel this mechanism of in me, this desire to participate in the um, greater social structure of the world and make an impact. And of course, along the way, it has been misguided and has been, and by misguided, I mean, I I could feel this pure desire to make an impact that would be supportive. And I didn't always know how to do that. And I've certainly misstepped. I certainly, I'm going to use air quotes and say done the wrong thing. And I use air quotes around that because at this moment, I now have an understanding of right and wrong, uh, operating within a structure of supremacy, that there is a right way and a wrong way. In fact, now I would prefer to use language that's like harm, hurt, uh, versus healing. Like, what you know that 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 there's a lot of nuance here, and and I'm I'm grappling and struggling for words already because there is so much nuance within communities. We all have different ideas. We all have different needs. We all have different desires. And while there is like collective movement, we all have, I can see this within communities that are marginalized, a desire for collective healing. Uh, There isn't one correct path towards that. I can just say within my intersection, within my identity being non-binary, I have a particular way that I relate to my pronouns and the way that I would love for people to reflect my relationship to my gender. And I also don't have a right and a wrong within that. Like I have an understanding that 
the way that people relate to me will be far more about themselves than it is about me. And I know who I am. I feel congruent in what I'm doing. And if somebody chooses to, like consciously chooses to not respect my pronouns, that that says a lot more about them than it does me. Does it hurt? Sure, sometimes it stings. And I can make decisions about taking care of myself. Now, that's happening on an individual level. That's a very different conversation than talking about policy, right? That's a very different conversation than talking about uh, the dynamic within a school. That's a very different conversation than talking about how we address gender with children. Um, and and so, you know, there's nuance. There's a lot of nuance in these layers and in, in, in this conversation conversation because I think that there, in my experience, I can see the way kind of all of these layers have been smushed into one. And, and then I see it and I've experienced it. People get really scared that I'm going to be mad at them because they, you know, they're making an effort and it's really new for them and they're stumbling and they're scared that they're stumbling because they're scared that I'm going to have that they, you know, whatever, that they don't respect me or, you know, that they're transphobic. And, and, and for me, I'm just like, look, you're relating to me right now. So you can always just say like, Hey, I'm like, I'm, I really, this me this is important for me. And, um, you know, if there's ever something that I do that feels uncomfortable, I'm totally available to hear it. Like, I'm like, you're relating to me individually. I'm a person. You can say these things to me and I'm available to hear that. And I'm also available to tell you when something doesn't feel good or, you know, comes up for me Well, people will be like, Ooh, girl. And, and like, I don't, I don't mind that. It's kind of like, Hey dude, like neither of those really bug me. Um, when it's met with like upholding my pronouns, there's nuance in relating to me as an individual person. That same allowance uh, doesn't translate to writing policy, right? So if if I was out advocating for trans rights in in a public government setting, there's a different way I would talk about these things. There's a different way that I would have that conversation uh, because policy is different and also out of my scope. You know, that's that's not a place I'm skilled at. Like, y'all know I struggle with words as it is. Like, I'm not equipped for that right now. Maybe someday, but not at this moment in my life. And so, you know, I'm not I'm not leading up some big conversation in regards to being non-binary because I'm just out here trying to exist and live my life and relate to people and understand my relationship to my own self. Uh, maybe a day will come where I'll want to like lead that charge a little bit more. Maybe not. I don't know. Uh, but right now I don't have that. And so I, I'm just bringing out my own experience to acknowledge that there's a lot of nuance. And when I say I don't have a right and a wrong way, this is why, because I see it as there's all these layers and I want to relate to people and, and talk with people and people are going to have different ideas and different needs and different desires. I'm not out here leading a charge for writing policy or doing things like that. 
So it's different, right? So I just want to acknowledge that when I say that like right and wrong. But back to what I was saying about like having misguided, you know, doing things wrong, like again, just holding that like how I can recontextualize that now is saying like I understand that the actions that I made at certain points in my life could have potentially did create harm that I wasn't aware of. Um, that wasn't brought to my attention that, you know, I can just look back and I do look back and, and cringe, honestly, at a lot of different stages of my life. And still, I, I also have compassion for the growth and the journey and understand that now all of that has metabolized into an understanding that informs the way that I show up now. And I feel the mechanism that has always been present in my life at the root that mechanism is a desire to make an impact and the way that i can see that now happening you know in 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 this kind of wider out perspective i would say that has really metabolized since i almost died is this sense of of placing myself into the structure of deep time Seeing myself on the planet as this small, small being in in an infinite expanse of existence. And though I am so small and and really quite insignificant, uh, you know, the, the line that I say here is the individuality of who I am is insignificant. So me, the I, the identity, Viana, this person, uh, you know, in, in, Five generations from now, my my name may not be re- remembered. Uh, who I was may not be remembered. The things that made me me may not be relevant at all, probably won't be. And the impact of my choices, the impact of my actions will linger, right? I right now in this life am living in the wake of my ancestors' choices. I'm living in the wake of my ancestors' decisions. I'm existing in this life, in this place, in this reality that I have right now as a result of all the people who came before me and made decisions about what they were doing. Most of them, I don't know anything about their lives. Only in recent years do I even know their names. I don't know anything about who they were, what they struggled with, what they desired, what they were good at, their passions, their fears, their pain. I hear an echo in my skin, but it's different to not know their story. And still, I live within the structure that has been created as a result of their choices and their actions. So I see that the individuality of who I am is quite insignificant. And also the impact that I have the potential to make is still quite large. Again, I'm gonna bring it back to my own ancestry here and say on my ancestral island, there are 20,000 year old cave paintings done in ochre. 20,000 years. That is an amount of time that I actually cannot understand. I, I, who were these people? I don't know. My ancient ancestors. 
I don't know who they were, and still I see their mark. And still they reverberate in my bones. When I work with earth pigments, when I work with ochre, I hear them. I, I remember something that transcends time. And, and in that also I see. I can make a mark that can last 20,000 years into the future. What is that mark I desire making? What do I actually have the power to do? What do I actually have the bandwidth to do? Now let's bring in another layer. Trauma. I can see how through much of my life, trauma in, in every, in every corner of my life, trauma has been present. I don't believe it's possible to live through the things I have lived through and not be affected. I mean, the, you know, the moment of inception, of, of conception, <laughs> of inception, <laughs> the moment of conception for me, uh, you know, fr from that moment forward was filled with trauma. And, and, you know, in the womb, there are stories that are not mine to tell, so I'm not going to tell them. But even after I was born, like immediately after I was born, there was trauma, trauma, trauma. And then, you know, violent trauma that came my way starting when I was still in diapers. You know, like, I don't believe that I'm just going to keep this for myself. It doesn't seem realistic that I could have lived through those things and have not been affected by them. Am I a little fucked up because of that shit? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Yeah. That shit fucked me up. And I'm dealing with it. Like, you know, I'm dealing with it. It's, it's a responsibility I have chosen to pick up. And that shit fucked me up. <laughs> and, and it impacted the way that I have made choices in my life. And continues to. Though less and less, the more uh, I work with a trauma therapist and the more I tend to the physical uh, ripples of trauma in my body, I'm less and less affected, but it's still there. And I can see how my trauma mechanism uh, really influenced a lot of my activism in my older life. So, so you know, kind of going back to my uh, late teen years, early twenties, um, you know, still, still, you know, was really righteous at that time in my life, and like took up a cause and was really into it. Like in high school, I, uh, I also got into like food sovereignty and um, food accessibility and and eating locally, and um, you know, I didn't quite know about regenerative agriculture yet, but, but was kind of circling that, um, that world and was also really into sustainability and, um, being really conscious of my imprint on the planet. So all of these things, you know, I was doing like Amnesty International and Model UN and, um, you know, this fundraiser for children and, and doing like food activism and, um, just really feeling connected to, to 
a lot of causes. And at the root of that for me was this desire to make an impact in the world and, and not at that age, it was still about myself, like as it is when we're in our teen years, I think that's pretty normal. Um, but it was also this really deep desire to care for people. When I look back, I can just feel this depth of caring so much for people. And a lot of the, um, the way that other people's stories would enter my body, the depth that they would enter my body, I can understand now was a result of a lot of this trauma. I didn't really know how to um, hold a boundary and, and differentiate myself and say, oh, this is your story and I can hear it and I can, I can hold empathy for you and I can go after understanding. I can follow along even if I don't understand, even if I could never understand, I can still follow and be with you. Um, and, and, you know, regard all that you're bringing and potentially participate based on what my capacity is. And there is still a separation between your experience and who I am. When I was in my teen years, I did not have that boundary. Uh, so I took everything in and I felt like I had to take everything on. I had to do everything and be involved in every cause because I cared so much. And I would hear another story and I would take it into the depths of my body. And then I would be activated to do something for, for that cause. And, and then another one and another one and another one. And you know what I did? Not much overall. I mean, I can tell you all these various organizations I was involved with, but I can also tell you that uh, there were people who were like only involved in one organization and they knew ever, all the inner workings of what was going on there. And I floated from here to there to there to there to there, getting the gist and doing a little volunteering here and here and here and here and here, but not really getting to sink into the soil in any one place because I was trying to work with everyone as one tiny human. And then social media came out. Lordy, that just amplified all of this for me. The, the lack of boundaries that I had with being able to delineate between somebody else's story and my own experience and the depth with which I was taking things in and being activated and my trauma being triggered and honestly just a kind of a hot mess of chaos inside of my body and immediate burnout, immediate burnout, just um, not really having much capacity to act on the things that I desired acting on. And, and I was very righteous. I mean, I can just say through, it's only in recent time that I feel that settling within me. And it's quite lovely now that it's settling. Honestly, again, I don't care any less. I am just learning how to actually differentiate myself and hold my own well-being as well as the regard that I have for another. I'm learning how to maintain integrity in my own self as I hold another. That's new. That's new for me, given the experiences of trauma that I've lived through. So um, with social media, something that I noticed, um, and I, you know, I'm, let's go back like f within the last like five to eight years, um, some things, I mean, maybe even say eight to 10 years, 
some things that I've noticed in myself. I would see something happen and uh, would feel immediately activated to participate. I would do some little something. And then I would turn the feelings I had of not being in control mixed with the desire I had to help, um, mixed with the trauma of feeling powerless. And I would direct that towards all the people that were around me as this righteous, uh, I know more than you. I know how to do this the right way. And you need to educate yourself because you're not participating enough and you're not doing enough. And let's unpack that. Okay. First of all, this idea of need, you need to participate. You need to do something. Uh, that's inherently coercive. Like that's a manipulation. And um, I am not interested in participating in that behavior anymore in my life. I can see how I have grossly overused the term need when actually what I meant was want or desire. Um, and this, you know, this distinction has come through James Olivia, who is in episode four. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I highly recommend it. Um, I'm working with James Olivia this year in multiple spaces and just so moved by them, so moved by their wisdom. And, um, this may have originated with Dr. Jen McCabe. I'm not quite sure, um, who, who runs Lead, Gather, Relate, um, and is, uh, the organizer of the Lead, Gather, Relate, where I'm learning the four skills of radical relating, uh, which I'm sure if you've been listening to the show, you've heard me talk about. And that has roots in Carl Rogers' work for anyone who is familiar with Carl Rogers. Um, so this, I imagine that this distinction probably came from somewhere in, in, in there, um, maybe not, but it came to me through James Olivia. So need, essentially what we're doing is we're saying, I, I have a need that is life and death. If I don't get this thing fulfilled, I will not be okay. And by directing it as an, at an individual person, I'm saying you are the only person who can attend to this life and death need for me. And if you don't do it, I will not be well. Is that true? Like most of the time, no. No, it's most of the time it's in a, a manipulation when really what it is is uh, I desire your participation. And then that could be further unpacked. Why? You know, what's on? what's in that? What's under there? You know, maybe there's a specific reason somebody is desiring your participation. Maybe there's someone close to you in life and or they're in your community and they have a desire for, um, you know, feeling seen and feeling accepted or, you know, feeling like their their life is important. And there's a lot of places I could take that. Like there's there's so much nuance and I'm not even going to touch on everything that I have to say because a lot of it is still metabolizing in me. Um, but I, that one place of understanding the distinction with need has been a huge part of my changing relationship here within my 
identity as an activist. Like I'm saying that and like that's not something that I actually have for myself. I always struggled using that label for myself because it felt more, um, it felt like more than I could sign up for. It felt like more than I had bandwidth for. Even though, you know, I was participating and I have always had this deep desire to participate, uh, wearing that title felt like um, being a, a warrior in a battle that I was not prepared or equipped to uh, be in. Um, and, and even when it was relating to my own self, you know, even when it was dealing with an intersection of my own marginalization. Um, and, and there's layers in that too. Like we could look at it through the lens of human design, which I've been certainly enjoying. Um, and I look at that as a way of not defining who I am, but just a reflection. And I take it as what's true for me here. Does it feel right? Does it feel good? Cool. Let me try this on and see how it feels if, you know, if it's not landing. And then if it doesn't work, like I just throw it away, like, you know, pretty simple. Uh, within the structure of human design, my type is a guide, not a warrior <laughs> and not meant to go out and, and fight. Um, and I had a my first human design rating actually, um, with someone who I'd love to have on the show and talk about human design a little bit more because it's been mentioned a bit on some episodes and, um, I love to have Sam on the show and share a bit more because there's just a whole lot that I don't know about this stuff. Um, but that was something that Sam shared with me and, and that part of me that has struggled to wear, you know, activist was like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. That's that's why there's always been tension here. All right. Anyways, I feel like I'm going off on a whole tangent. The sense of need, understanding that distinction has been big for me to kind of delineate uh, and understand when something feels manipulative and that I can choose to participate or not. Um, and these days when I see that, that that's pretty quickly a no for me. Um, when I see that, I, it feels really gross, honestly. You know, it just, it feels, there's like a repulsion in my body. I have a desire to help. I love participating to the best of my ability. And when somebody when I feel like there's a manipulation involved, it's a pretty quick no for me. You need to do this. Mm, no, uh, no. <laughs> uh, I saw something recently for an organization locally that had language like that. And, and I sat back and my response to it internally, I didn't say this publicly or and for a minute. And I was like, Oh, Reflecting on this makes me wonder, where is your organization going? If, if you're leading with manipulation, where are you going? Because it doesn't sound like liberation to me. It doesn't sound like you're moving towards liberation. It sounds like another function of supremacy culture operating under a different name. And I don't have a desire to participate in that. I have a desire to, to do something that will further liberation. 
our collective liberation. I have a desire to make an impact in, in that direction. And if you're starting with manipulation, I don't have a desire to follow where you're going. And this is where discernment comes in, right? And this is where understanding that communities, like none of us, no individual person is, is, can speak on behalf of an entire community. There's nuance to all of this. And there are unique experiences that we're all having in different parts of the country, in different parts of the world, in different cultures, with our different identities and intersections and, and the nuance that we bring as individuals. This is why I understand that participating locally is so important. And also, I would say a big part of what has changed in me the most over the last year is understanding how, how subtle and interwoven supremacy culture is in my mind, in my body, and in my most intimate relationships. And I'm understanding really intimately right now that if I have a desire to work towards any sense, any part of collective liberation in society, I first have to get right in myself. And there are many, many ways that I can see myself participating in supremacy culture in the most subtle corners of my life. It may not be obvious to anyone else. And I have a lens on that now. And I can see the way that my relationship to language often functions with a sense of supremacy. It's changing. You've probably heard a lot of the way that it's changing and me coming to own and claim my relationship to language and the way that I'm working with my child in a different way through my changing relationship to language. I also can see the way that I have used manipulation and coercion and power over structures in my most intimate relationships and how changing there, changing that is, is a practice ground, right? So if you listen to episode eight with my partner, Darren, uh, we talk about how our divorce saved our relationship, how we went from an abusive marriage to healthy, conscious relating to sharing love and valuing our family and, you know, placing our unit at the center of our priorities. Our family is our priority. You know, that, that six months ago, eight months ago, I never could have imagined we would be where we are right now. And you know, kind of getting into the soil of repair. What is repair? What is healing? What is liberation? What is healthy relating? Uh, you know, when I talk about restorative justice, what does that mean? What does that look like? What can that look like? I am living it in the most intimate areas of my life right now. I'm living it in my body like the the experience of chronic illness I have and tending to my health. And within that, I'm also widening my lens to understand all these subtle ways that 
pain and harm and injustice unfolds in this world because I'm interacting with, you know, insurance companies and and so many different doctors and you know buildings that I'm noticing like well you know how does somebody with different physical limitations access this building or you know I'm just like my lens is is opening to things that I would not have seen and so right now in this moment in my life I'm I'm kind of just I feel like a witness like I'm collecting all of this information about these subtle ways that uh, transformation. Did I say restorative justice? I meant transformative justice. There is a distinction there. Um, and I, I would, I would invite you to go after understanding them because again, like words are not my strongest place. (laughs) Um, and I don't want to, uh, miscommunicate something about them, but there is a distinction between restorative justice and transformative justice. And my general understanding, like kind of um, what I can offer to you. And again, I I would recommend going after your own definitions and in, in searching to confirm and find language that the community is using beyond just me. But um, my sense is that restorative justice has a desire to restore what was before and transformative justice has a de- desire to transform what was before. So transformative justice, that has drawn me in a lot deeper because you're taking the structure prior that led to harm being created and working to transform it into something healthy and stable um, instead of trying to restore the previous conditions. Um, transformative justice has really brought me in because it is this, you know, it feels like a metamorphosis that we're taking something that has been very painful and harmful and damaging and coming to it with skill, attention, competency, proficiency, uh, awareness, and attending to the damage and the hurt and the pain and creating a space for that to metabolize into something new. So that has really called to me. I just want to make that distinction because I'm pretty sure I said restorative justice. This is what happens when you're just flying off the cuff and speaking into a microphone. (laughs) Words come out weird sometimes. Take a little pause for a drink. So in this moment of my life, I really feel like I'm living into understanding the subtle ways that things can transform. I'm taking a lot of information in and my capacity is really limited. Really limited. I still spend most of my days in bed. And I'm working on something pretty big that you'll hear more about as this year continues. Um, and that's taking the energy that I have when, I, when I'm working, as is this podcast. Um, and I don't have much else to offer. This is what I have right now. And 
I struggle with that. I wish I had more. Just this current place that I'm in, my body is, you know, in an acute stage of of healing physically um, and, and neurologically speaking. That's, there's a lot going on neurologically for me. So I have to be really conscious of what I'm taking in. I would say that's kind of a space where I'm really struggling because even um, if I wasn't able to participate, like these last couple of years, I've been just as sick, (laughs) but uh, unaware of that. So I haven't been able to do much, but I've still been learning. And it's, it feels really hard to not be informed about what's going on. And I also know that there is a lot happening in the world that I, I will likely never understand um, because there's so much nuance, right? Because there's different cultures and different um, perspectives informing what led to certain conflicts. And that doesn't mean I don't care. I, I regard the human beings in these situations so highly. Human life, I regard that deeply. And, um, and I'm learning also how to create boundaries and, and regard without obliterating my own body in the process. Feeling empathy without allowing it to burn out my body because of the trauma I've experienced. I also feel like I'm sitting deeply right now in the space between performance and action. You know, how much of me desires being, you know, doing things right, knowing what's going on so I can talk about what's going on, so that I seem smart enough, so that I seem like I'm doing enough, so that I seem like I'm doing it right. How much of sharing things online is just a mechanism of that and just bringing it back to this sense of right or wrong. Is that not just a condition of supremacy culture? operating on a different end of the spectrum. What does that actually do? Right? I want to relate to people. I want to relate to the people in my community. I want to relate in a way that will facilitate a container that is led by listening and understanding And then have the skill to understand that we are all also humans having our human experiences. And one person may not be a person I want to relate to. And just because I don't want to relate to a single person does not mean that I don't want to be involved in our collective healing and liberation. But what does it mean to be involved in collective healing and liberation? I still have, I still am a sovereign being who has the right to discern where I am putting my energy and how. 
that is not a reflection of how much I care. Is that not just congruent? Is that not just understanding who I am, where I am in all moments, and how I'm participating or not? I just want to pause here for a moment. Let's all have a deep breath. It's always funny to me when a package gets delivered during a podcast recording, because I swear there's like rarely stuff coming to my house and then it seems as soon as I sit down to record something gets delivered. But I like to take that as a moment to have a collective breath. Okay, so this is what I have right now. I know that with the state of my current health, uh, I have to be very careful with where and how I expend my energy. Um, I, I know that by tending to this experience I have of chronic illness and, and working to understand how to resource my body, that's going to give me more capacity in the future to actually participate in some kind of way. Though I may never have, you know, this, the capacity that I desire. I mean, really the capacity I have, the, the desire I have is to have capacity to participate in every corner of the globe. And I know that's not possible as one human, um, but even to the, the, lower extent that I have a desire to participate. I, I don't know that I will ever actually have capacity to meet that desire. And, and still I will do something and still I will participate. It will not be to the degree that I desire and I will still show up. And I am, it's different now than it's ever been. I'm showing up and understanding transformative justice in the most intimate folds of my life. I'm metabolizing and understanding right now that I know is going to inform so much about what I do in the world moving forward. I'm learning the skills of radical relating to attend to that skill of relating so that I have the proficiency to arrive in that future place where I am more active in a community sense with skill, that I can show up with skill because I've gone after learning. So right now I'm in this place where my body is really affected by what I'm dealing with in terms of chronic illness. And I'm utilizing this opportunity to learn what I can, to learn new skills, to metabolize information, and to practice these new skills, new to me skills, uh, in the most intimate folds of my life. I'm practicing and I'm learning right now. That's the best form of activism I have at this moment. 
And I also have had a vision for a nonprofit that I will create in my life. I don't know when. It will certainly depend on resources and energy and capacity, but it's a vision I've had for a long time. It's at the intersection of youth and creativity and mental wellness. And um, that is so important to me. It kind of reaches into this place of understanding the desire that I have, like what is the root of it? Um, I have this deep desire to be part of our collective liberation and tending to the children feels like tending to the future. And, uh, and also I see how my life has been impacted by this particular intersection of creativity, mental wellness, and resourcing children who are experiencing trauma. I have been the direct recipient of that. This podcast exists as a result of me being the recipient of care in this way. So it's coming from my lived experience and it's speaking into the future I desire. It's coming from my uh, understanding, from the body that I live in, the life that I have lived, and speaking into a future that I want to be a part of creating. It is one small piece of a collective puzzle. I know I can't create the shape of the entire puzzle, I am just one piece of this puzzle. And if I try to participate in all of the other pieces that are on the board, there will be a hole where my piece was meant to go. So I am right now looking to attend to my puzzle piece so that it can fit into this collective puzzle so that I can fill in the space where I, this unique being who has lived a unique life, can offer my piece of the puzzle to the world. And it's different than what the collective call is. Uh, It's different than what I, you know, in my fullest vision, wish I was capable of doing. I, I wish I could participate in everything. And I know that is not impactful. That is not impactful. I've already tried it. It doesn't work well. It burns me out. It leaves everyone feeling frustrated that I'm not offering uh, more attention and energy to each particular cause. And it doesn't actually create the consistency, stability, or impact in any one of those areas that I'm wanting to be involved in. Everyone comes out feeling frustrated. I have a deep desire to participate. And I know that there's a lot of nuance here. There's a lot of nuance. There's nuance far beyond what I can articulate in this moment. I mean, this is all still metabolizing. It's all very fresh in my understanding. And I... I'm leaving a lot of space because there's there's a lot that I don't know how to translate. I I do not want to participate in systems of oppression any longer. 
that starts first and foremost within my own body and consciousness, in my own home, in my family, in my community, and then on and on, right? The ripple can go from there, but it starts first and foremost within my own self. And I understand now the way that my trauma has impacted the way that I've shown up to social justice, to liberation, and have perpetuated the same system that I had a desire to deconstruct. Dr. Jen McCabe, one of my teachers, says, you cannot oppose that which you participate in. I can't stand in opposition to supremacy culture while participating in supremacy culture. I can't stand in opposition to systems of oppression while manipulating and coercing people. Doesn't work. I have a desire to participate in our collective liberation. What does that look like? Right now, it looks like healing. Right now, it looks like tending to my trauma so I can stop being swayed by it in the decisions that I'm making. Right now, it looks like uh, transforming the most intimate relationships in my life so that they're healthy, so that I have a roadmap to bring out into the world with me. Right now, it looks like creating a vision for what Mark, I hope to make in the world and attending to the skills that will help me arrive at that place. Right now, it looks like grieving. A lot of grief. Digesting all the the ways that I desire being and cannot in this moment. There's a quote I'm feeling called to read by Andrea Renee. I'm going to pull it up real quick. It's on Instagram. So just give me one second. Andrea Renee, actually, um, we, I know of Andrea Renee through the Lead Gather Relate community. Uh, they have studied with Dr. Jen McCabe. Um, we actually haven't connected directly. Um, but I'm sure you've heard them referenced and talked about on the episodes with, uh, James Olivia and Nick Strack. Um, and I so look forward to getting to connect with Andrea once I'm in the LGR community container, (laughs) um, which will be happening later this year. Okay, so Andrea, the post, it's a quote post that says, you will not save the world. And the caption reads, it may sound bleak, but hear me out. It's not your job to save the world. The issues the world is facing are collective issues, and you, love, are just one human out of seven billion. You cannot and will not save the world. You alone do not have that power, but there is work to do that is yours to do. 
To find that, we have to look at who you are, the identities we hold, the skills we have, the communities we're a part of, the access to resources and power we have, etc., and explore how all of those parts contribute to this system and world around us. And here's the thing. Tending to that work is enough. It's necessary and it supports the collective. You can read that for yourself if you'd like at Andrea Renee J on Instagram. Thanks for that post, Andrea, if you happen to hear this. Uh, my best friend actually just shared that with me a few days ago as I was processing some of my relationship to activism. My my bestie Morgan, who you will hear from in a few weeks. Um, and I love that. That just actually, Andrea put to words what I'm struggling putting to words. That, that really encapsulates it for me. Um, I, I feel the friction between having a desire to show up to so much. And then within that desire, I'm sitting back now and asking myself, how much of this is trauma? How much of this is my own pain? How much of this is me trying to control something because the experiences of trauma I've had get triggered when I feel powerless? What can I actually do? What do I have the power to do? And I can tell you right now, like it's also donating. Like there are various places where, you know, things are happening and I'm not posting about it and I'm not, you know, I can't even read a lot about it, but I'm getting the gist of what's going on and I go and make a donation and it might be small, but it's something, you know, it's something, it's, it's, it's what I can do. And then also within that sitting back and reflecting, I'm looking at how much of my desire to understand this and share about it is because I want to be perceived as doing it right. How much of this is because I desire the people in the community that I respect to look at me as doing a good job. And I'm using air quotes around good. I, everyone's going to define that differently. You know, that's no metric I can live my life by. I, I know in this moment I'm doing what I can and that's the best I have to give. And if somebody says it's not enough, they're entitled to feel that way. This is what I have. This is all that I have in this moment. And it will not serve anyone. Surely it will not serve anyone if I overextend so that people believe I'm doing enough. No, 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 no. That is not going to help anyone. And that's a type of performance that is also self-harm. I am not interested in harming myself so that other people think that I'm good enough. No, thank you. No, thank you. How does that bring us towards liberation? 
I don't see that connecting. There may be a lot of people who don't agree with me about this, and that's okay. We are allowed to have difference. This is what I have in this moment. I'm sure it will continue to deepen and evolve and grow as I heal and attend to these skills of relating and uh, understand my own self within the structure of our culture more and more. I feel actually incredibly clear about what I'm here to do. And I don't have a lot of energy. I don't have a lot of bandwidth at this moment. And I have to be very, very conscious about where I'm putting the energy that I do have. So that's what I'm after. Because the ripple of my actions and my choices will live on for generations. The mark I make may be visible in 20,000 years. But I guarantee you that that story I reposted to my Instagram feed will not be. I'm focused on making a mark, making an impact that moves us towards collective liberation. I am tending to a seed for a future world that I want to be a part of, that honors the sovereignty of each individual human, that upholds our autonomy while understanding and cherishing our interconnection to each other and the planet. I'm interested in sustainability from the inside out because the lack of sustainability that we have in our current world, in the structures of our culture, I believe that is just a reflection of the lack of sustainability inside of our own bodies. I know what I'm here to do, and I'm going after it. It may not look like enough from the outside, but it's exactly what I have. And that's how my relationship to activism is changing. I am congruent now. I am. Thanks so much for listening. Now it's time for creatively exploring your opportunity to digest today's content through your own creative expression. Today's writing prompt is not a super long one, so you might remember it, but if you want to take a moment right here to grab a piece of paper or your uh, phone to type it, do what you need to do. The question today is, who or what do I feel called to protect and why? Who or what do I feel called to protect and why? 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you have thoughts, if you have a desire to share any thoughts that are coming up, any difference that you may have, or any resonance that you may have, or maybe any questions, I would love to hear it. Call in at one 833 relate one 273 5283 or send an email to relating at gmail.com. And of course, you can support the show, patreon.com slash Novis, or all of the freeways. Follow me on Instagram at viana.novis, subscribe to the show, share an episode with your friend, uh, leave a rating, leave a review. All those things are free. So however you'd like to support the show, it means the world to me. If you've enjoyed this episode or any previous episodes, please take a moment to support the show coming out into the world. It really helps. All right. Uh, music for this episode. Hey, let's not leave without sharing that, honoring the brilliant uh, Zena Carlotta who created the intro music for this show. You can follow her journey on Instagram at Zena Carlotta, Z-E-N-A-C-A-R-L-O-T-A. And her music was mixed by my pod mate, Brendan Willing James at Willing. B-W-I-L-L-I-N-G on Instagram. Thank you so much for receiving this episode. It was actually quite a tender one for me. Um, Also, just being on my first day of the cycle, it's always a little extra tender and maybe a bit discombobulated. I hope it was followable, but even without that, I certainly appreciate your presence here and your grace along my journey. Thank you so much for witnessing. I'll see you next week. Thank you.